Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Hello, this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru. And I want to give you a little bit of a preview of today's Global Medical Device Podcast. I have an opportunity to talk with Rebecca Sheridan. Rebecca is the head of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Affairs at Phygenesis. And Phygenesis is one of these new breed medical device startups. It's pretty awesome to hear their story and especially learn a little bit more about Rebecca's background and view on how regulatory matters impact and actually help a medical device company. So enjoy this episode as Rebecca shares a little bit about her background and the Phygenesis story. It's a good one. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru. Today, I'm very excited. I've had this date marked on my calendar for quite some time and and I'm excited because I get to talk to Rebecca Sheridan. Rebecca is the head of quality assurance and regulatory affairs at Phygenesis. And I've talked with Rebecca several times over the past year, year and a half or so. And every time I leave that conversation feeling upbeat and positive and, and, and smiling and happy. So uh, I get to be happy the rest of the day, Rebecca, because I'm talking to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you. Well, today, you know, we're going to talk about a few things. I mean, you're, I, I can't begin to do your background justice, so I hope you could take a few moments and share with the audience your upbringing in the medical device industry and talk a little bit about the, you know, the different roles that you've had. But you, you, you worked for some very large companies, and now you're working for the startup. And maybe you know, we'll get into the compare and the contrast, but we're going to talk a little bit about you know, this, this startup that I've observe a little bit from a distance with the Genesis and, and watching your story unfold. And it's pretty exciting. So if you can take a moment and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your background. Sure, of course. So I've been in the medical device industry now for just over 20 years. And I did, at the beginning of my career, I would be an amazing researcher and academic. Mm-hmm. I quickly learned that that's not really something that is my strength. And I have the utmost respect for people who are good at research and academic research. Um, But I was lucky enough to join the MHRA in their medical devices division um, in the mid-90s as a medical device specialist. And I wasn't to realize... Let me just pause for a moment because some of our listeners may not be familiar. What is the MHRA? Okay. So the MHRA is the Medicines Healthcare Regulatory Authority in the UK And they are the regulatory authority for both devices and pharmaceuticals and biotechnology for the for the UK. So I was lucky enough to start with them at the period where it's the transition period for the medical device directive. The active implantable medical device directive was already enforced. And um, it was there that I learned about regulatory affairs. I was very interested in device safety, um, having studied biomaterials, but this regulations and how we could positively impact as an industry patient safety 
and was really fascinating to me. And because I was trained by the people who were involved in developing the, the directive, I developed a very profound and deep understanding of truly what the intent of the regulations were, and that is to protect public health. So I, I was therefore less than two years before I joined industry, and I joined a company called Guidant, who um, no longer exist as Guidant. They are between Boston Scientific and Abbott Vascular. And I joined as their, their quality and regulatory manager covering UK Nordic. And this was really more downstream regulatory and quality, very much involved with horizon scanning regulations, supporting clinical investigation submissions and post-market surveillance. So got very hands-on with the sales organization and I had a, an opportunity whilst I was there um, to become a field clinical engineer, working with the hospitals, with the users of the medical devices, the cardiac rhythm management devices, and was had a wonderful experience because I really got in front of the patients and really was able to hear the patients' voices. Mm -hmm. And to have that feedback from the patient, many of them, luckily, uh, at just what a, a fabulous effect these technologies were having on their daily life and how that was also affecting their families was really inspiring. And that was very, very pleased. I, I took that opportunity to work so deeply in clinicals, but my heart really is in regulatory affairs. Right. And I was given an opportunity to join a company called Our International, which was later acquired by Teleflex Medical. And I was responsible for their, I was the first person to do quality and regulatory in their European facilities. And so again, starting from scratch, but what was really incredible opportunity for me was that within a couple of months, I had the manufacturing facilities in Europe also reporting into me from a quality and regulatory perspective. And for someone based in Europe who has downstream experience with the sales, marketing, warehouse distribution organizations, it's unusual then to get that opportunity. Right. So I was there for involved in the whole life cycle of the product. Um, we set up a design facility within one of the facilities in the Czech Republic. So really was able to see from the beginning to the end just how we could set up processes to be efficient, to ensure that all the processes spoke to each other, not just in the development phase, but in the post-market phase. And after a few years, I was approached by Zimmer because they were going through the transition of the joint replacements becoming class three from class two B. And they really wanted to to bring somebody into their organization in a leadership role who had a very good, strong understanding of what it means to be to have class three medical devices in the European system right. and how to work positively with a notified body to facilitate timely approvals and timely reviews of your devices. So I, I joined Zimmer as the Director of Regulatory Affairs. And subsequently, I also took on the post-market surveillance roles. And this was a really exciting period of my career because of the people I was working with um, based in Switzerland. When you have a team of people who all click and they all want to approach things in an innovative way, but embracing the regulations knowing you're trying to do things which are risky, which of course are in conflict then with the pr protection of health that regulations give you, 
but working together with the appropriate regulatory authorities. And we were able to take products from the beginning of design control to having our design examination certificate in our hand in 15 to 18 months as class three implantable devices. That's really it is, and it's a credit to the whole team that we're involved and also the leadership in our U.S. companies, Zimmer Inc., who allowed us to drive the way the company was approaching this. It was a change, and we had their support. And But one of the things that I was seeing in these big companies, I as I then went to Centrude Medical to help turn things around sure. with some of their registrations because of FDA warning letter in, in the United States. We looked at setting up an O-run labeling facility in Belgium to help facilitate registrations in other regions such as China. Um, was that, you know, I kept going in and cleaning things up and I was very good at that. And I thought, well, what about <laughs> what about starting things from scratch and setting things up so yeah. that they um, approach. <laughs> yeah, so that they actually work correctly the first time. One of my favorite sayings is, "Do things right the first time; otherwise, it will it, it will come back and get you." Yeah. And um, so apply yourself. Do it right. It's the most efficient way, and it's also the most cost effective way. So, but this is also around the time of the recast, as it was called, that we now have the medical device, the new medical device regulation. And there was a lot of discussion around the, the table with the big medical device companies of raising barriers. And I was very concerned because SMEs, um, university research, right. research in hospitals, really is what's driving new approaches, innovation in the medical device industry. And 90 to 95% of our industry is SMEs. Right. So, you know, I was, well, they can't really afford to hire people like me, like the people around this table. We're in privileged positions. You know, the big names, it's easy to hire top talent. Sure. But what really are the needs of an SME? And it's, it, I could imagine them, I could guess them, but sometimes you have to live it to truly understand so that we can think about what the best solutions are to help us as an overall industry move forward. And so I took the opportunity to step away from large business and, and go into SMEs, first of all, with a company called Cryotherapeutics, and then secondly, with Phagenesis, mm -hmm. um, who ha I really was excited to join because Unusually for a regulatory person, their research and clinical data was incredibly robust. Right. So normally we have to say, well, we need a bit more data than <laughs> that. Maybe there's a few publications or right. we're going to have to do a clinical study. They had done an excellent job and very thorough research and very thorough clinical data. And the devices themselves, when I looked at the devices, they were had been designed and developed, even though they were the first generation, they were of a very high quality and looked great. And, you know, clearly, a, really a lot of a care and a lot of attention to detail have been put into bringing the device to as to where it was. And I was brought in to, because they want to appropriately take the device into the United States. And I thought, this is, you know, they've got, this is great. They've got all the information they need. They've got this excellent device, a well-designed device. I'm in. And here I am today helping the company move forward to be able to 
get our product on the market in the US and, of course, working with all the changing regulations that we have in Europe too. Right. It's quite a story, Rebecca. (laughs) It's it's varied. It's varied. And, you know, but my passion for medical devices keeps on growing all the time. So hopefully there's another 20 years left. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so, you know, the thing that I liked about what you were just sharing is that you you come from a perspective where there's a, a lot of sort of unique aspects. I mean, you've had the opportunity to work on the, the actual regulator and with MHRA. You had a chance to do a lot of research early on in your career. You've had a chance to actually be a field service engineer and interacting with patients. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love how you have those experiences because I you know I have different background. I I grew up in as a product development engineer and then shifted more to quality assurance and and then eventually regulatory affairs. But you know and having that kind of those different views of the medical device world I think makes you know, people like you and me a little bit more well-equipped, I think, to be able to understand the needs of other parts of the business. I know I've, I've been in organizations where you know, one functional group, like the quality assurance group, dominates you know, and establishes mm-hmm. all these firm, rigid rules. And, and sometimes those firm, rigid rules, they're not good for the business. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're not good for the patient. And and so having that experience, I'm sure that when you came to Phagenesis, that was one of those key things that you wanted to make sure were, were in place, that the rules were in alignment and with compliance and with the regulatory uh, matters that were applicable. But at the same time, you have a business. You're trying to get yeah. new products to market. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, And that was one of the things that when we give people processes to, to work on or set criteria they have to be well they have to mean something to the person who's doing the work so you know to to not involve them in the process in the development of the process means that it doesn't they don't feel they own it right. and it has to reflect what people do and it has we can make things very very complicated if we choose mm-hmm. but that's the biggest way or the most effective way of of getting people to make mistakes and getting people to have you know create non-conformances for regulatory authorities to to pick you up on Mm -hmm. and so you know i'm very much of the ethic that you make sure your process is simple it's efficient it meets your regulatory requirements but that people it, it delivers the end result to the to the customer and the customer of course can be your user your patient your regulatory authority can be your internal customer but always focus on your your customer needs even when it's a quality management system process and you know be conscious of the person you're handing over information to that you're handing it over in a way that's usable for that person then to be able to do their role and so that's something which has really benefited the organization and you know working with my colleagues you know initially they were concerned because of course change is always concerning of course um, but what they've seen is things are actually working much more easily right. we're actually able in our quality metrics to turn things around more quickly so you know we're currently when i joined complaint responses or investigations responses were taking three to six months and now they're taking two to four weeks nice. so you know it is it's it's excellent and we feel good the customer feels good 
And we're able to take timely decisions on, on what really matters for our products and for our patients. That's, that's so great to hear. And, you know, when I first got exposed to Phagenesis, uh, you were like you understood the, the mission, the vision behind Greenlight.Guru uh, mm. maybe better than I did sometimes, <laughs> but uh, you really em- embraced what we were doing in, in the software solutions that we developed to help medical device companies because, like I said, you just saw that vision and it was great for you to just roll up your sleeves, literally in some cases, and you you grabbed everyone from the Phagenesis team who needed to be involved in You've been a, a huge champion for some of the things that we're trying to do uh, within Phagenesis. And you know, as I've gotten to, to interact and meet and, and learn a little bit more about the Phagenesis team, you guys have a team of all-stars that are developing <laughs> medical devices. It's pretty, pretty amazing what you guys have assembled. Yes, it is. And it, it is multifaceted. So we have, I suppose, one of the things that I, I really liked also about the organization when I joined our chief medical officer, uh, Shaheen Hamdi, who was the one who'd done the research and the clinical data, incredibly thorough, incredibly knowledgeable. And I could go and ask the most basic questions about the clinical elements and he would spend his time and explain to me, but explain to me in a way that was very easy for me to understand as this is a new area for me, the treatment of dysphagia. Our uh, chief operating officer has brought products to market before. And again, you know, was responsible for the design and development of a very elegant device, one that was like, whoa, in the hands of the FDA when we went to meet with them, the FDA were very impressed nice. with the device. Our chief executive is ex-Medtronic and was responsible for setting up their neuromodulation mm-hmm. um, division within the European sales and marketing organization, which was an, having worked for one of their competitors, was really a very strong offering, which was difficult for us to <laughs> actually sell against. Yeah, right. um, and we've, you know, we, we, we now have a global marketing manager who has come from the pharma and pharma medical device side, um, and, and she's got a great deal of experience as an excellent marketeer. So, I mean, overall, we, you know, in the leadership team, you know, there's this real wealth of knowledge from large companies, but also from the clinical side and also from other SMEs. Right. And, you know, so in that respect, in terms of innovation, they were not too difficult to bring around to the solution that was needed. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that I liked the most about Greenlight Guru was it was plug and play because having worked for big companies who have, you know, the, work with the very big QM, EQMS solutions, the level of customization and then subsequent validation that needs to occur, we didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So, you know, when I found this product, Greenlight Guru, that it's, we can plug and play. We don't need to do any validation. So it's just the procedures that, wow, right. well, this, this is great because that really brings the, the cost down of the use of the, of the product. And any changes is not to the green light guru, which forces us to do validation. It's maybe our process flow around green light guru and how we use that and, in, and take that into our processes. So, you know, we've, we've been investing oh, in using green light guru. And as a result, you know, how we now use that to, for our training requirements and setting up training competences and building up the training profiles for people, you know, we've, We've been able to do that 
just by using the tags. But it means that we're not having to keep Excel spreadsheets maintained of people's training requirements. We put them in the tags of the people who are affected by the procedure because that's in the procedure. You can see it in the tags. And, oh, you want to see the training requirements for this right. position, dear auditor? Da -da -da -da. There you go. <laughs> voilà. There it is. Oh, we want to download it? Easily downloaded. So, and again, what I love also, and I uh, was talking with someone last week, is that our salespeople use it. Nice. And, um, <laughs> How did you manage that? <laughs> well, because you make it, because it's such an easy, it's so easy to use. You know, they're putting their training records on there independently without needing to be asked. They just do it. It took maybe five minutes of training to show them how to do that, and off they go. So when you have an easy-to-use tool, it's, you get easy acceptance, and that's what we've seen. And people are using it very well. And I was absolutely delighted when, because, you know, was it last week, in the past couple of weeks, you sent out a survey. Yeah. And, you know, the people would go, oh, I'm, I'm doing my survey. I'm giving, and well, how, how was the feedback? It's all very positive. And that was completely unprompted from my perspective to say, you know, make sure you write something constructive. People are finding it very easy to use. So it's great to hear. I, 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 um, I get so excited to hear stories like that. I, mean, I, I told everyone at the beginning of, of our conversation today that I was going to be smiling and, and it wasn't even because we were going to talk about green light. It's just because I was going to have a chance to talk to, to Rebecca, but I appreciate the, that feedback. That's, uh, that's wonderful to hear. The thing I want to wrap up our conversation with today is I talk to startups just about every day. And let's, let's just say some of them are, how do I say this uh, politely? Some of them know what they're getting into, but many do not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those who do not, you know, they're like, oh, well, what is this thing called design controls? And why do I need a quality system? And so on. So, you know, I find myself in this role where I, I spend a great deal of time educating people on and startups on why this is important. And, you know, and sometimes like, oh, I get it. I understand. But it really takes someone with a little bit of vision to think all the things that I'm doing now are so important and the documentation and the records that I'm doing now are important because mm -hmm. three years from now, an inspector or an auditor may come in and see what I'm doing now, you know, and, but at the same time, it, the, it takes a special person to appreciate that, the, that those things that I'm doing now and may need to align with regulations, even though it seems like it's, quote, painful or more time consuming and so on. So I'm wondering if you can share a few words of advice at startup that <laughs> is battling with, do I need to worry about my QMS? Do I need to worry about design controls? Can yeah. I wait to do that later? Yeah. So one of the things that people who are involved in SMEs, where they come from, people, we, we want to be innovators. We're innovators. You are, absolutely. And, you know, we don't want to be constrained by regulations. But as you have, if you have a medical device, you're very focused on your user needs, as in your customer and your patient. Another user is your regulatory authorities. And your regulators have a responsibility for public health and ensuring that the public are safe. So you have this natural tension between the risk which is comes with innovation and the as the reticence that comes with wanting to make sure that you are protecting public health mm -hmm. so my advice is 
embrace regulation because you have to speak the language of the regulators and you have to understand their needs so that the activities that you're doing to bring your products to market to support your patients and your users it aligns with the needs of the regulators too. Mm -hmm. When you are in a regulatory authority, it's not that you're sat there thinking, I'm going to make people's lives difficult today. You have a job that you have to do and you are accountable to your leaders who are then accountable in most cases when you're in a regulatory authority, such as the MHRA, the FDA, to the governments who are in And they have a, you know, it's a big responsibility in that respect. And, it's so nice when you're on the side of the regulator, when you are working with a company who is saying, I appreciate that this is, these are your needs and this is what you need to do. So I know I need to provide you this. I'm not quite sure how we're going to provide you this because right. it's not an innovative product. And as such, the, the, the standards, the harmonized standards or the regulations don't quite cover this because it's innovative. So, how can we work together to figure out what the right thing is to do from either a testing perspective or a clinical perspective to get the data that is going to fulfill that requirement? Mm-hmm. And by embracing that and embracing the fact that the regulators are also one of the users of your data, then the whole process can go more smoothly. And sure. that's something that I've always brought to the table. Don't be afraid of regulators. They're human beings. They're just like us. They have a job to do just like us. Right. And actually, if they get to do their job well, they feel great and they feel really positive, particularly if they can facilitate a, a, a novel, innovative therapy treatment to come to market that then has a really positive effect mm-hmm. on on the vulnerable people because our devices are never used on well people they're always used on vulnerable people so we can help bring the regulators into our team if we think of them as users of our data and that that's the advice i would give to smes don't be fearful of regulators they are there to help and guide us through the regulatory process and they will do that and they will do that with you know, a smile and happiness and passion if we allow them to. That's great advice, great words of wisdom. I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to wrap up. I want to, you know, you've kind of hinted a little bit about what Phagenesis is doing, but, you know, this, this phagia, what is that? And why should <laughs> tell us about, you know, what's, what's happening at Phagenesis? And I know you got a lot of exciting things happening right now. So give us a little bit of, a, of an overview of oh. dysphagia and, why uh, Phagenesis is set out to solve this particular issue. So Phagenesis has a, a treatment of Phagenics devices, which are used to treat dysphagia, which is a swallowing dysfunction. Mm-hmm. The risk for patients of dysphagia is that the most significant risk is of aspiration pneumonia, which mm-hmm. of course in vulnerable patients can lead to death. So that's quite significant. But on the other side as well, if you've got a swallowing dysfunction and you're being fed through uh, a nasogastric tube or a tube in the stomach, you know what? You can't really enjoy a meal with your family out at a restaurant. Yeah. And, you know, the pleasure that we have from eating, you don't get that. So there's a quality of life um, element as well as the fact of this severe risk of aspiration pneumonia. Professor Shaheen Hamdi, our CMO, um, back in the 1990s, started to 
look at why do some patients with strokes develop dysphagia and why do some patients not develop dysphagia? And it was determined, or he was able to determine that the swallow function is in both hemispheres of the brain. Wow. And generally, one side is more developed than the other. And so, patients who have dysphagia, it's the side which is the dominant side of the brain for the swallow dysfunction that's been affected. So those patients who have the uh, don't get dysphagia, it's the non-dominant swallow side that's that's been affected. And so then they looked at, well, how can you stimulate the brain to develop the alternative pathways to reinvigorate the brain to develop, you know, with the swallowing function? And so they looked at using different types of stimulation. But what they found was the stimulation in, in the throat um, that a, a very low current, you could have quite a profound effect on the part of the brain that's responsible for the swallowing function. And you could get that non-dominant side to be reactivated or to be more activated. And it's a very simple treatment. It's a nasogastric tube with the electrodes along um, the length of it, which align with the throat. And it's 10 minutes a day for three days. Um, The overall, from setting up the thresholds to start the stimulation, to the finish of the treatment, it's about 30 minutes in total. So it's not even significant from a speech language therapist that generally provide this treatment. It's not a massive amount of time from their day when the current state of the art, which is drinking um, thick fluids or thin fluids or um, fizzy drinks or poking the back of the throat to try and get the, the muscles to work, that takes up much more of their time. So there's a number of clinical studies that have been done. We're doing a registry, which is excellent. We're looking at different uses of the device with different brain injuries. And uh-huh. um, But what's really exciting is we have our new generation of catheter coming out in Q1 of next year. And this will really make a difference for the hospitals because we're going to have a removable nasogastric tube that you can replace if it gets clogged, which these things do if you don't flush them out correctly. And so this is really great because this has come directly from the post-market surveillance activities and the feedback based upon the initial design of the first generation. Wonderful. so, and we'll also be moving forward into starting our clinical study in the US also. So, next 2017 will be, be well, it will, and particularly because since September, we have a new partner and we've entered into a structured buyout deal with Nessay Health Sciences too. So, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, yeah. we've, all heard, we've all heard of Nestle, so that's that's awesome. I mean, and, and uh, sharing the details of dysphagia and, and your treatment. I mean, I've I've had people in my family who have had you know, swallowing issues, and and you know, it, fortunately, it wasn't uh, super extreme, but but it can be, and it's wonderful to to learn that a treatment such as the Phagenesis device can be easily applied and administered, and just prevent long-term downstream uh, health issues. So I, I, that's awesome. So thank you for sharing a little bit more about what Vagenesis is doing. My pleasure. Well, Rebecca, it's been, I'm smiling. My uh, <laughs> got goosebumps. I'm thrilled to, to tackle the rest of my day. And uh, I get to tell everybody today that I got to talk to Rebecca Sheridan. 
the head of quality assurance and regulatory affairs at Figenesis. Thank you for being the guest on today's global medical device podcast. Thank you.